1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So we worked with anybody from the top superstars like Shania Twain, Dixie Chicks, Faith Hill, Tim McGraw. You know, um, we had Rock Axe Train, John Mayer, Kings of Leon on and on and then we you know of course you need to work with the baby acts too because you're hoping that they'll grow so we had the whole spectrum of tours we were booking the little clubs way on up to the major venues you know arenas and stuff like that so you know and then over the years i got i did get more into songwriting i actually got a publishing deal with a new brand new publisher in town but i had to be careful because i worked in the business so i didn't really want to use those contacts to pitch my songs, you know. I'm Angie Scott from The Woman Angler and Adventurer, and this is the Tom Roland Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast today. You know, on this podcast, we talk so many times about people who are pursuing their passion, people who have uh, found something that they really want to do. And for whatever reason, they've made a change in their life to accommodate those goals. And I love those stories. And today we've got another story like that for you. Uh, Angie Scott runs The Woman Angler, and she asked me to be on her podcast. And then I followed up and had her on mine. She's got a great story about how she is following her passion and also helping a lot of people get into the sport of fishing. So stand by for a great conversation with my friend, Angie Scott. Angie, how you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you coming down and being on the show today. Yeah, just a quick jump over here to Chattanooga from Nashville. Right on. So the woman angler, that's your that's your podcast and and adventurer too, right? Yep. The woman angler and adventurer. So how did this whole thing start for you? Well, I grew up fishing in Minnesota, a uh, land of 10,000 lakes. We uh, fish walleye mostly growing up and uh, got older, moved down to Nashville. I wanted to work in the music industry. And so I went to school, found out they had music business schools in in the Nashville area. And I was like, well, that's where I need to be. That's what I want to do. So I made the move down here, didn't know anybody, uh, went to school got in the music business, was kind of dedicated, thinking about that for many years. And uh, the only fishing opportunities I'd get would be when I'd travel back up to Minnesota in the summer. We'd go up to a cabin on a lake up north, and that was like my week to fish for the year. And so I all I wanted to do was just nonstop fish when we go up was there. Was that like pike and walleye? Pike, or? Yeah, mostly walleye. Um, we'd go up to Lake Vermilion was probably one of my favorite places to fish, um, pretty far up there uh north of duluth yeah and uh mostly walleye 
but I didn't mind catching. I love the toothy fish. Any yeah. kind of fish I could catch. I know teeth. when I when I was a kid, that's what I wanted to do the the toothy fish. Uh-huh. And my dad took me to Northern Saskatchewan, mm. and uh, that was a trip. <laughs> Every fish had teeth. Like mm-hmm. we caught uh, <laughs> northerns, we caught lake trout, uh, walleye, grayling. Um, okay, I guess that's probably it. But um, yeah, I like the teeth. Yeah, that's yep. cool. So. My dad, he he likes to golf too, so he wanted to kind of mix it up. But I was kind of constantly like, "Let's go fishing! Let's go fishing!" So I would just fish off the dock if they went and did something else, you know. But anyway, I, I, over the years, I kind of started thinking about, you know, there's opportunities in Nashville for fishing. There's Old Hickory Lake, which is actually where the world record walleye was caught. Mm. And then there's Percy Priest Lake, which unfortunately doesn't have any walleye, but still a pretty good fishery for catfish and bass and bluegill stuff. So I started taking advantage of that from the shore. I would go out bank fishing. I found some spots I liked and started doing that more and more. And as I advanced in my career, I kind of got to the point where I was like, why don't I buy a boat? You know, so I started looking into boats. I was maybe thinking about getting like a tracker, you know, something, a uh, deep V boat, you know, what I grew up fishing in. And uh, one day uh, ag came across my Facebook for these small pontoons. I was like, hmm, that's an interesting idea. They were really well equipped for fishing. They had live wells and rod holders <laughs> and all that. And the smaller size, I was like, hmm, maybe that I could make that in my price range. So I started investigating it and, uh, and found out, you know, emailed with the company. I said, this is kind of the price range I'm looking at. Can you, I've expected they would, were going to laugh at me because I hadn't in my head that pontoons are like super expensive. Right. And, uh, And they came back and said, yeah, we can totally work with that. So I actually went to the Nashville Boat Show, ordered my boat, kind of customized it how I wanted. It was a Quest pontoon. And um, and I I even I was thinking far enough ahead. I'm like, I really love fishing. I might want to do guide guiding or charters one day. So I designed it. They they had an option for a wheelchair gate. And I thought, you know, I might want to take kids out or veterans or something, you know, so I had that put in, we kind of, it was cool that they were able to work with me and design it the the exact way, you know, for what I wanted to use it for. How long is it? It's only 16 feet. Really? And so is it uh, two pontoons? Yep. Just two pontoons. And in the back, they have something they call fish, fish station. It's got a little live well and then there's just like a cutting board and a measuring board Uh all built in a bump board type thing. And then there's another live well under one of the seats. So, uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, and so once I got that, it was kind of like game on my obsession came back and I was out all the time. If I wasn't fishing, I was out on the lake writing songs with friends. And so it was cool that I got the pontoon because it was so much more versatile than a deep boat would have been. The biggest bass I've ever caught in my entire life was off a pontoon. Actually, probably the five biggest bass I've ever caught in my life was off a pontoon boat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so many times you don't need anything, but, uh, you just need to be in that location, right? right. Like, yeah. And then pontoon boats, super comfortable, mm-hmm. like in a lot of situations. And uh, yeah, it sounds great yeah. like for that area. So are you still working the same boat? Well, so I kept my relationship up with them and uh, started the podcast out of my love for fishing in the outdoors. Uh, I actually had done a songwriting podcast Uh, before through my work in the music industry and stuff. And I've written songs over the years. I had one actually recorded a couple of years ago, which is cool. Not by a big artist or anything like that, but it was cool that, you know, you can go on iTunes or Spotify and download it. What's it called? It's called One Day at a Time by Ricky Lee. Okay. He's from Pennsylvania, but he did a great job. Turned out awesome. So it's it's fun to hear that. But, um, so, uh, over the years, I you know kept up my relationship with them. Like I said, started the podcast. That's kind of slowly been growing. And uh, a couple of years ago, or yeah, I guess it was last year at the boat show, I knew the guys from Quest were coming into town. And I said, hey, let's go to lunch. And uh, started telling them all my ideas. I got my captain's license now. And I've been doing some charters out on the lake, just kind of more recreational cruises, mm-hmm. not really fishing guide stuff. But um, 
I was telling them all my ideas, like I could get some songwriters out, we can do some videos and some cool stuff on the boat. And they're like, we need to get you a demo boat. And yeah. I said, yeah, that, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. <laughs> so I was fortunate enough to be able to run a 25 foot Quest Avanti pontoon this past summer. Wow. And it was awesome. It has all the bells and whistles. They put a diving board on there. And so we just had a blast with it this past year and did some fishing. We did a kid's fishing day, took some kids out from the Boys and Girls Club and they all caught fish. And, oh, that's great. Yeah. So it's been fun. It's, I mean, that's, it's been a wild journey. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to know about how you, how that journey started. So were you a musician? That um, led you into wanting to be in the music business, or it sounded kind of—it almost sounded to me like like you were interested in the business part right. of the of music. I was mostly interested in, in the business part. I think it started out as uh, just a love being a fan of music. You know, uh, my brother is a drummer. He plays in a band up in Minnesota now, um, so I grew up with that in the house. My dad had a guitar, but he. He played it a little bit, not, he wasn't big into it. And I kind of picked it up and I became a fan of some certain bands and I'd get the chord book and try to learn. So I learned chords, you know, that was kind of the extent of my, I don't have any rhythm. So (laughs) I knew that that wasn't going to be something I'd pursue, but I was creative as far as writing and stuff. And I'd write poems and that kind of led into writing songs. So that was kind of in the back of my mind, but I didn't have any uh, intentions of that being like my full-time career. Right. I was really interested in the business side of the music industry. Like who, who was the record label president when, you know, this band was on MCA records or whatever, you know, like, so to me, the executives in the music industry were the stars. Hmm. Yeah. So when I got to MTSU and I got to do internships, one of my heroes was Tony Brown. He, used to play piano for Elvis and then he played for the Oak Ridge Boys and then he was the president of MCA Records for a long time and I got to do and my first internship was with a new label that he had just started with Tim Dubois and I was like wow this is so cool I got to work out of his office one day when he was out of town and uh, they put me in there as an intern I'm sitting at his desk working I'm like wow this is awesome. So your internship happened before you went to MTSU? Uh, no, it was it was during. daring. Yep. Yeah, because yep. a lot of people, you know, that I think that they should do that. Like even my kids mm. today, they they have certain interests, and it's like, well, I'm going to change my major and do these things. It's like, well, is there any opportunity to see what? that person does for at least one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I know this one person that went to nursing school and she was um, amazing. She did great. And then, you know, she gets out and she doesn't want to be a nurse anymore. And I was like, why? She said, well, I had, I had no idea what nurses did. <laughs> like you didn't want to do an internship, like not even once right. to see like what, goes on on a daily basis. I just found that crazy, but I'm a big believer in internships. Yeah. Like my story is kind of similar to yours in a way where I, I was going to school. I was always, I was kind of an average student, you know, and I went to university of Minnesota at first because I wanted to work in the music business. But at that time I didn't know that there was music business schools. So my plan was just to go to university of Minnesota, get in their business school study accounting or something and then maybe get a job as an accountant for a record label or something Uh like that. And uh, my grades just weren't good enough. Um, I didn't realize how competitive their business school was, but my advisor was like, you're not going to be able to get into the school if you don't have at least a 3.6. Wow. And I was sitting at like a 3.3 or something like that. So it was just kind of luck I discovered um, music business schools. I was watching Primetime Country one night, which used to be on the Nashville Network. Mm -hmm. And they were interviewing the Oak Ridge Boys and their manager, Jim Halsey, was on. And he has a school in Oklahoma City that's a music business school. And I was like, whoa, these things exist. So I started researching it and I found Belmont and MTSU. And I chose MTSU because it's a state school. It was going to be a lot cheaper and went down there and all of a sudden I got a 4.0. Wow. It's like when you find your passion, yes. all of a sudden it's like easy, yes. you know. And so 
it's interesting. My son went to Belmont, and he was almost all of his friends uh, were in interested in music. He was interested in being like a uh, a one man show kind of video person. And mm-hmm. there was a great program there that would teach you uh, video editing, you know, writing. Music, a little bit of music, a little bit of music editing, uh, animation, like all the things, graphics, all the things that would allow you to be, you know, you could shoot YouTube videos or you could shoot, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, TV show. And he got into that and really, really liked it. But most of the people at Belmont were doing something similar to what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Either they were musicians or they wanted to be in the business part of, of the music. That's interesting. So when when you go there and and you experience this love for learning what you're interested in, what kind of things d- did it take like a year to get into the kind of classes that really excited you or did you have to kind of go through all the core stuff first? Um, so I had the two years at the University of Minnesota. Oh, right, right. So I transferred those credits down, but it was really bizarre because the University of Minnesota was one of the only schools that was still on trimesters. <laughs> so <laughs> My high school was on trimesters. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. It's weird. So my credits all just didn't transfer over right, you know, and my advisor was like, well, You've had all this economics. You know, I took a lot of pre-business type classes like accounting and economics. She's like, let's just take those credits and apply those towards your biology credit. I was like, nice. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) Okay. So actually got through all through college, never having to take biology. It was super bizarre, but, and it kind of set me back a little bit. I had to go a little longer, but because I had all that stuff, I was pretty much able to start with a lot of music business related classes and they still have like a small core group of classes you have to take before you get into whatever kind of path you really want to dial into. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of my first classes I'll never forget was history of rock and roll. Nice. I'm like, wow, I'm getting graded on the history of rock and roll. This is, was it hard? Because it seems like that would be like a super easy class, but you can get fooled with a class like that in college. And my kids have too. Like one of them took um, history of film or something like that. And he was like, this could be so easy. We're probably going to study like stepbrothers and and funny (laughs) movies. And it wasn't like that at all. It was really hard. Um, Was that a class difficult? It it was difficult. I mean, there's a lot of information you had to learn. And I was kind of a crazy note taker. So I would almost write the lecture word for word as he was going over stuff in class. And then I'd go back and I'd have all these notes, pages and pages of notes. But like I said, you know, I was so interested in it that it, it was hard. Yes, but it, you know, I enjoyed it. So it didn't seem as hard. Yeah. So, and then all, all the while I'm still writing songs just for fun. You know, I had some friends I met there and we would kind of co-write together and never became anything more than that. But I did all these internships, knew the right people, was in the right place at the right time, landed a job at a booking agency, one of the biggest booking agencies in the country. I was very, very blessed. I never even heard of it, though, because there's this other agency that's kind of the one that was in all our textbooks and stuff is called William Morris Agency. And so when I got the job at Creative Artists Agency, I called one of my professors. I was like, so this company, Creative Artists Agency, offered me a job should I take it he's like yes <laughs> I'm like okay that's a good one <laughs> yeah so I called him the next day said I'll take it and I was there for 16 years so what do you do as a as a booking agency well I worked um in the contracts department and then there's agents that actually book the shows so they route tours for artists they you know do the deals with the venue or the promoters. Um, So we worked with anybody from the top superstars like Shania Twain, Mm -hmm. Dixie Chicks, Faith Hill, Tim McGraw. You know, um, we had Rock Axe Train, John Mayer, Kings of Leon, on and on. And then we, you know, of course you need to work with the baby acts too because you're hoping that they'll Mm -hmm. grow. So we had the whole spectrum of tours we were booking the little clubs way on up to the major venues you know arenas and stuff like that how did you see in 16 years how did you see the music business change um it's 
growing, especially in Nashville, you know, obviously it's a lot more rock, you know, people are moving here from California and New York and stuff and realizing what a dynamic city, Nashville and dynamic music industry scene it is now. That was probably the biggest change I saw. I also saw a growth of women in the industry. You know, when I started, I think there was one female agent in our entire company and now that's growing, you know, so that, that was another thing I saw and just really just the growth of Nashville has just been insane. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. it's spreading, it's spreading to all North, South, East and yeah. West of Nashville yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. My, I, I told you my wife grew up in Nashville and mm-hmm. I've seen it change yeah. a lot. Yeah. I mean, in the 20 years I've been there, uh, it's, almost unrecognizable now even music row they've torn down a lot of the historic buildings and they're putting in these huge high-rise office complexes and condos and apartments and hotels and it's crazy yeah Uh, last (laughs) time i went to nashville i saw about eight cranes as i looked over the city there were just these cranes everywhere building another high-rise yeah yeah so you know, and then over the years, I got I did get more into songwriting. I actually got a publishing deal with a new, brand new publisher in town. But I had to be careful because I worked in the business, so I didn't really want to use those contacts to pitch my songs. You know, so yeah. I couldn't. I felt kind of handicapped. Taboo or what? Yeah, I mean, bad form. Yeah, kind of. I think so. I don't know. Um, and maybe it come, we were talking earlier about self-promotion right. and how it's <laughs> hard to promote yourself, but maybe it's part of that too. But, um, I kind of had to rely on song pluggers that work for the publisher to pitch my stuff. And, uh, songwriting in Nashville is very, very difficult. It's very political It's who you write with and who they've gotten songs recorded with before, almost more than how good the song actually mm. is. And you really need to be in it day in, day out. And I just didn't have, obviously I work full time too, but I didn't have that dedication or or the courage to take that leap to do it. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, fishing, you know, with the boat, buying the boat, starting the podcast, it's become a bigger and bigger thing. And I, I could kind of see my position where I was working evolving and I could kind of see it probably wasn't going to be around for forever the way that the business was changing technology and things yeah, like that's, that. That's that's what I'm interested in. I mean, like what, what did you see the writing? How did, how did you see the writing on the wall? Like this isn't, things are changing. Yeah. Well, they, they developed this new software program that was really going to automate a lot of things and a lot of things that I had my hands Mm. in. And so I could see over time, I was kind of helping develop this software, you know, I'm (laughs) like, I'm kind of digging my own grave here, but you know, I, I also was lucky enough. I'd done it long enough that I knew that that wasn't really where my heart was anymore. Mm. And so I didn't really mind helping. Right. <laughs> and uh, it, I could see it, you know, and that's one of the big reasons I started the podcast because I could see that happening and I wanted to build something that maybe not necessarily I could fall back on, but something that I could start working toward building right. something else, you know. So podcast, <clears throat> um, how long ago was that? Um, Just... About two years ago. Yeah. And yep. you said that you had a podcast on songwriting at yeah, one point? Yeah. At one point I was a co-host on a podcast about Was that before? Mm-hmm. Okay. So did that one have some success and then you kind of saw what podcasting was all about and wanted to do that or what, why was it podcasting? Um, it didn't really have much success. I mean, we had some fans. It was kind of weird. We met couple you know and it's like oh they want my their picture with me you know it's kind of weird but it introduced me to podcasting like the kind of the back end I didn't do the editing stuff my Uh co-host did that but I did songwriting demos so I kind of understood how to work like GarageBand which is what I use to edit our podcast and um I think uh really I listened. I think that really introduced me to listening to podcasts. So I listened to a lot of podcasts, a lot of marketing podcasts, business podcasts. So one of them that I really love to listen to is Smart Passive Income. Huh, with I don't Pat, know that one. Pat Flynn. Okay. And he 
uh, started a podcasting kind of one-on-one type thing. So I, I was like, hmm, that's an interesting idea. And so I was like, hmm, I would love to have some sort of passive income, you know, which podcasting is really a lot of work. So it's not really passive. Yeah, income. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but he talked about how beneficial podcasts can be. And, um, he had this whole system on how to learn how to do it from beginning to end. And I, I just said, you know, this, this could be really interesting. What would I do it on? Well, what's my biggest passion right now? It's fishing, you nice. know? So I actually started a podcast. My, or initially it was called It Pays to Fish. And I was, I was featuring people who make a living in the fishing industry in all different aspects. And I tried to think outside the box. So not just your typical fishing guides or tournament anglers. I had some of my first guests was uh, Casey Scott, who does all the artwork. Okay, for, yeah, yeah. Hook. I don't know if he still does, but yeah. at the time. Um, and uh, <laughs> not wearing any at this current but moment, but yes, I do. There, yeah. Um, and uh, I did a guy who started an app uh, called Fish Donkey, which is a new way to run fishing tournaments without having to take your fish to the way in, you know, yeah. just things like that. I was trying to think outside the box. And then one of the interviews I did was with this lady up in Wisconsin who runs this group called Wisconsin Women Fish. It's this huge group of women that are just super diehard, passionate about fishing. They do a fish camp every year. This last year they had 70 women come. And when I interviewed her, that's when I kind of got the most interaction, the most downloads, the most excitement. And I started looking around and I didn't really see any other podcasts that were just about women and fishing or the outdoors or hunting or whatever. And so uh, I started, the wheels kind of started turning. Maybe I should shift, you know, like Salt Strong, Joe and Luke Simons are mm -hmm. down there in Florida and they're kind of doing the same type of thing I was doing. Not that there isn't room for multiple people to do the same thing, yeah. but, you know, they're already featuring people who make a living in the fishing industry and um, so anyway, I called B Barb Carey is the lady up in Wisconsin. I called her and I said, what do you think about if I shifted the focus of my show to this? And she's such a huge promoter of women and in, in fishing. And she said, that's a great idea. I don't think you should just limit it to fishing. So that's why I added the and adventurer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so we've had, you know, women who are into shooting sports, who are into hunting and, but we tend to do a lot of fishing related stuff just cause that's my main passion, you know, but, uh, anyway, so I made that shift and then a few episodes into that, she called me up and said, would you like a partner on the show? She, right. she did a radio show up there and was kind of getting away from that, but she still wanted an outlet for all the great stories that she can gather throughout her travels and adventures and stuff. And I said, yes, yeah, <laughs> cause I was still working full time at that time. And, um, I could only put out one episode every other week. I mean, that was already stretching me to the limits uh -huh. to, to do that. And so bringing her on was a huge help. And so we were able to start doing a weekly podcast. And how do you do that? Is she, are you in two different locations? Yeah, most of the time. Um, she's up in Wisconsin. We've kind of evolved, gotten better over the years. When we first started over the year, I guess I should say, um, we've, when we first started, so I use Skype, I was already using that to do all my interviews and I have a little recorder on there and, uh, I would, all my guests would be over the phone. So when I started doing shows with her, she would be on the phone as well. So it would be me with the mic and kind of the studio set up and then a guest and her and we would do interviews that way. Nice. Now she's got the Skype set up as well with the microphone and everything. So we're both connected that way. And then we usually, sometimes we have a guest who also has Skype and that's awesome. Kind of sounds better, but, uh, but I, now that I'm doing this full time, I've been doing a lot of traveling and we've been able to do a lot of stuff in person, which has been cool. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I think the in-person ones are, are definitely better. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I don't know. The conversation's just better. I have had some really good ones that are over the phone, mm -hmm. but for the most part, I think the conversation just goes far better and the sound quality is better mm -hmm. in person. But Less editing that way too, because <laughs> you talk over each other a lot when you can't see each other, Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a problem. And especially when you have three people, that becomes mm -hmm. a real problem because mm -hmm. now the person listening is hearing nothing but 
they don't even understand what's going on. Right. Like, I always tend to look at a podcast that that I'm about to listen to, and if it's got three guests, even some of the highest um, quality ones, like Joe Rogan or something, if he's got three or four guests, I tend to just skip right mm. over that one. I thought I like the one on one because of the talking over. Right. That's a that's a big thing. So, what do you think? the status of of women in fishing is today it's growing so much i mean so and we've talked about this a lot on my podcast but growing up in minnesota it's a totally different culture than here in tennessee up there it's families uh moms dads kids going out fishing all the time it's just there's so many lakes so many fishing opportunities it's just a part of the culture mm -hmm. And so there's a lot more independent women up there now because they've had all this experience uh, with their husbands or dads, you know, mm -hmm. growing up, going out all the time. So you'll see a lot more than I see in Nashville women out there in the boat by themselves fishing mm -hmm. or with their kids or whatever, you know. And uh, the high school fishing thing is really big up there. It's it's with bass fishing, it's becoming more popular down in the South as well. But, um, uh, me being on Percy Priest Lake, when I look out, I almost never see a woman <laughs> by herself. If I do see a woman, it's with her husband and that's even rare. It's mostly just guys all the time. And so I felt kind of isolated being out there by myself, the right. only woman, not knowing any other women who are into fishing. Now through the podcast, I'm starting to uncover more and more, um, we just did a live podcast at the Nashville Boat Show and featured women from the Middle Tennessee area who they fish. A lot of them fish competitively on the Lady Bass Anglers Association tournament mm -hmm. scene, and and so now I'm finding more and more. But it's not; it's still way different than it is up north. And so I'd like to see that change. Yeah, and it's it's a culture thing, I think. Yeah. It it could be I don't know you and and I just did a podcast your podcast before this um, which was fun thank you for having yeah, me yeah thanks for um, being on and in that you you referred to fishing as the great equalizer which I had never really heard that before but you're exactly right like I see no reason why women wouldn't embrace fishing and but yet maybe it is a cultural thing why why is it do you think that that just it's a male dominated sport for the most part. Um, I mean, maybe just over history because it, you know, even with catch and release and handling the fish with respect and all that, it's still a blood sport mm. at the end of the day. Um, so, uh, you know, and it's, you know, maybe men went out and fished to provide for the family and that type of thing. And it's just kind of evolved over the years. Um, I think a lot of women are still intimidated to get into it. You know, this is a lot that, especially if you're using a boat, mm -hmm. you know, you got to learn how to back a trailer down the ramp. Um, if you don't have a mentor or somebody to, to take you under their wing and show you all that stuff to just go out on your own and learn it, it's, it's a little bit intimidating, you know, yeah. especially when you look around and all it is, is men everywhere, you know, yeah. Seems like that's a great opportunity, like to to be that mentor. Oh yeah. Like, is that part of your your mission or your 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 um, vision for the future? Definitely, yeah. And what we're doing on our show is sharing stories of women who have overcome that barrier. You know, whether they did find a mentor or some of them learned on their own. Um, I just interviewed. We just had an episode where with this captain down in Florida, she fishes the Crystal River, names Captain Stacy Horak. And that's her story. Her she she used to go out with her husband every now and then, but she was never in into fishing. He loved to fish but never caught anything. <laughs> <laughs> and if they did catch something, it was like a catfish or something, you know, and um but her eleven year old daughter really loved being out on the boat and said when when they got divorced, her her daughter said, you know, the worst thing about this is we're never going to get to go out on the boat again. And her mom <laughs> said, why? And she said, because women can't drive boats. And she <laughs> said, well, why do you think women can't drive boats? And she said, well, I've never seen one. So like that next week she went out and bought 
found a good deal in a used G3 and uh, went to the ramp at midnight, practiced backing it down the ramp like 50 sometimes, went out the next day and took her daughter out. And well, her daughter was with her actually when she was practicing too. And uh, they went out a couple more times, caught a nine and a half pound bass. <laughs> And then it was like all over after that. Now she's a captain. She takes people out guiding, you know. And so just stories like that. We have a couple mottos on our show. And one is if she can do it, I can do it. So that through that is one of the missions of our show is to share those stories and hopefully inspire other women to give it a try. Mm -hmm. Um, But we would like to get into more tight education and uh, hands-on stuff. We have a new episode now. It's Five Minute Friday where we share tips. We did one on trailer maintenance, the importance of checking your wheel bearings and knowing how to properly load a trailer, you know, and weight distribution, stuff like that. Um, But we would love to do more hands-on stuff. Um, Yeah. It would seem like there would be a it would be wide open for like a weekend kind of thing to where you you know, figure out like what are the main things that are 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 keeping women from being in this sport, like back in a trailer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So number one, we're gonna learn how to back a trailer. Number two, we're gonna whatever, whatever the next right. the next, you know, most challenging or most intimidating kind of thing seems like that would be there would be like an opportunity for for like a weekend seminar mm-hmm. that you could just and the, and there are some they're popping up in different regions and stuff and barb my co-host like i mentioned she has that wisconsin women fish group they just did an ice fishing 101 this past weekend where a bunch of ladies came out they showed them the basics of ice fishing um and so there's opportunities like that with the podcast being a well, really a global platform, Mm -hmm. but, you know, a national platform where we're reaching people in Florida and the Midwest and, you know, all over. Um, It would be cool to figure out a way to travel around and do some, you know, regional or local. I think I think you could definitely do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there there are lots of podcasts that are going around now and doing these live events and uh, and selling out big Mm -hmm. theaters and all kinds of stuff. Um, I don't know. my, My feeling is that as as uh twitter instagram these short little pieces of information become more popular then there's a longing for more of a uh in person longer form mm-hmm. kind of thing and so you, I, it seems like the with the popularity of that you also see rising the popularity of these in person events yep. and and i think that um Man, that seems like a really good opportunity with the women. I don't. I, I've always. I mean, my experience with with uh, women in fishing is that they're generally far better. Uh, like, if you take, for example, I told you about um, when a river runs through it came out mm-hmm. uh, when when I first started guiding, and we had this huge influx of people, and they were every shape and size, every country, every. Everybody was wanted to fish after that. And so you would have, generally you'd have a family or you'd have a couple that would come and the dude thinks he knows everything. And then um, you could just say, okay, uh, let's, let's go through the casting lesson. Almost immediately the woman could cast better than the guy. And then she always listened more and she always caught more fish. Mm-hmm. Like always. It was I mean, if I had, if I could bet on it, it would be like, okay, money's, money's right there. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Almost every single time. And, uh, I I just kind of, it it made me kind of wonder, like, I wonder what it is. Like, why is it even on a guiding kind of thing that, that women don't gravitate to it? But I don't know. I mean, a lot do. I've taken tons of, of women fishing. And then even, um, during that time, uh, we had three or four three, three women guides in, in the outfit. Cause it grew from six to 29 and three of those were, were women and they had a great, um, a great clientele. In fact, even, um, um, what was the name? Um, Perkins from Orvis, uh, Lee Perkins. He insisted absolutely have to fish with Lori Ann Murphy. 
Every time. He never fished with anybody else. He fished with Lorianne. That was his favorite guy. Um, so that uh, she was she was fantastic. But, you know, I don't I don't see any reason that except for, you know, there's there's intimidation from every everyone. I mean, like backing a trailer in front of a bunch of people is pretty intimidating for anyone like that. But that seems like something that is really easy to overcome. Right. Uh, especially with the technology now, my truck's got this little thing that you turn. Do you use that uh -uh. at all? No, I don't I use it either. But you're supposed to put the sticker on your trailer and your sticker on your on your bumper, and it it can tell. I don't know. You turn it just like you're turning a steering wheel. Like huh. you know, you yeah. you got to do the steering wheel backwards, but you turn this thing. I haven't tried it yet, but they're starting to put all this stuff in vehicles, which mm -hmm. makes it easier for anyone to back a trailer, which I'm all in favor for because. When people are terrible at backing a trailer, it's not fun for anyone. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, and women are the fastest growing segment of fishing and boating right now. So I think it is, you know, it is changing. Um, one of the areas of challenge is the retention part. Like they may buy a license one year and then not renew it the next year. And I think that's where the education piece needs to come in. You know, women a lot of times are more comfortable learning from other women. So I think more women need to step up and be that mentor like we were talking about, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what I'm trying to do with boating. Um, I have my captain's license. I've been doing charters out on my lake, taking people out. And uh, I've found most of my bookings are women you know, cause they're just more comfortable with a female captain. So I'm kind of at a, a nice advantage sure. in that regard, especially in Nashville. It's like the number one destination for bachelorette parties. So all these yeah. people want to come down and hang out on the pontoon and have a good time. Man, so that's a great idea. Next, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so next this season, my big plan is pontoon karaoke. Yeah. Yeah. I love so it. I think that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, well, well, the last time I was in Nashville, we saw, um, went to dinner right down there on the on Broadway or on the strip or whatever they call it these days. I didn't know about it being the number one bachelorette <laughs> party destination, but everything from tractors pulling mm -hmm. trailers to the buses without the top on them to really nice buses and all of these things Just which hot are like tubs. Yeah. It's I, insane. I saw it all. We yeah. were at one of those restaurants where the the um you know, the it just opened right out to Broadway, and it's a it's a four way stop right in front of. We're right on the corner, so they're coming from right, they're coming from left, they're coming from behind us, from in front of us. It was a steady stream. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you can't tap into some of that, like exactly. that sounds amazing, yep. like a great opportunity. Yeah. So hopefully that will be that will be really good. And for the next pontoon year. boats, the perfect perfect thing for that. Exactly. Yeah. Throw a grill on there. Yep. And, uh, you know, Percy Priest, that's where Little Big Town recorded the video for Pontoon in Party Cove. People want to see that. You yes. Know? Craig Morgan's Redneck Yacht Club, that was written about a marina out there, and the video was filmed on Percy Priest. So I'm, I feel like I'm in the perfect location and have the perfect market. Now throwing some karaoke, who could resist? Man, sounds great. My daughter's got a karaoke machine in the in the basement, and man, her and her friends love that. Mm -hmm. So um, that sounds that sounds terrific. You know, there's so many different ways to um, to tailor to an audience like that. What you just said is is thinking outside of the box, and you can have a, a remarkably successful charter business like that, mm -hmm. like. I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be five pontoon boats. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? Scale it. Yeah, you can scale partner, it up. Partner up here. I think I might. I think I might. I mean, I see the potential there because mm -hmm. the potential is, uh, you know, in the Florida Keys, we had, um, when I first started in the Florida Keys, it was either offshore or skiff. There was almost no one in the middle ground at all. And if they were, it was like these eco tours, very little fishing. So the family would come down there and they're like, I don't know. You know, the kids are kind of young to go offshore. Everybody's probably going to get sick, which happens a lot. And uh, so there was kind of an apprehension of going offshore. And then the offshore guides like, look, we're going fishing. We're going to the reef. You know, there's nothing. I don't do anything else. So it was either that 
or now we need to get like three or four skiffs mm-hmm. to take this whole family. And um, when we started fishing the the redfish tournaments, we ended up getting a bay boat. And the bay boat was, I mean, there were certainly kind of bay boat like boats in the Florida Keys, but there weren't any that had trolling motor or power pole. And all of a sudden I'm taking this boat out. I'm like, I could easily take a family of five on this boat, put a little, put a little uh, top on it give somebody some shade. And, uh, it opened up a whole market that didn't exist. Mm. And now the bay boat market there, I would, I would venture to say that it's probably more booked in the Florida Keys than, either the skiff market or the offshore market on a year round basis mm-hmm. because, you know, families, they go there and they want to, they want to go and there's too many people for a skiff and, and no, and nobody wants to go offshore and get sick. Right. And so that's what I see with what you're talking about is like, that's an opportunity. Um, so now you just have to market it correctly. Exactly. How do you yep. market it? You need to write a song. You're a songwriter. <laughs> there you go. You're a songwriter. Yeah. You write a song. I heard that one song. Uh, and that dude came here, um, bachelorettes on Broadway. What's that guy's name? I don't know. There's a, I thought it was going to go to number one because it was like, um, it, country it was song? kind of, yeah, well, kind of, it's country kind of rap oh, okay. like country yeah uh, what do you call that crap yeah. uh, <laughs> um no this guy came and he he opened for um he opened for dwight yoakam and he it, that was his big song bachelorettes on broadway and and it was funny because i heard that song and him sing that song right before we ah. went to have dinner with my uh with my sister-in-law and uh who lives in nashville and I saw it. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's what that song is about. And now I see it. I had no idea that there were so many people, but mm-hmm. it is, it has become the number one destination it, in the world for bachelorette parties. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of people capitalizing on it. I hope you do too, um, because that seems really good. Yep. I got a, I got a, right now I just got a website, angiescottadventures.com. And then uh, Facebook page. So those are the two things. And I need to get on Google and do some ads and things like that to get the word out. Yeah. So the other thing is 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 uh, fishing birthday parties mm-hmm. because man, I used to do shark fishing birthday parties, and it started out just for my kids because they love catching sharks, and I could go and catch these little sharks for little kids, and. Uh, so my son told me he wanted to have a shark fishing birthday party. So I was like, cool, we'll take four or five kids on the boat. And we had a little shark fishing birthday party. And then I had another one of those kids. And, you know, when his birthday mm-hmm. came around, they were like, parents came it's up. The and he thing. wants to do, he wants yeah. to do the shark fishing birthday party. And I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> now this is becoming like a thing. And and then it, then I even was thinking about it. I was like, huh, would somebody actually fly down here to do a shark fishing birthday party? But they did. Yeah, you got Shark Week, you know. Yeah, I know. It's all the rage. So I know yeah. it is. <laughs> we just had Mark the Shark. That was a um, controversial one, but shark fishing's shark fishing's uh, uh, pretty popular. But your shark in the freshwater—that's the catfish. Mm. So you go, you go catfishing. Yeah. For the flatheads, that's a that is the shark of the of the <laughs> uh, of the freshwater, don't you think? I mean, they they like eat live fish yeah i've only caught two flatheads on my lake and not specifically just trying to target them Mm -hmm. i just happened to catch them so they're there that's my favorite catfish yeah that we have in the freshwater they fight harder i think than than the other ones but they're a predator you know like that's that's a that that fish like you could fish a live bluegill and and catch a flathead and where it seems like all the other ones that that my experience with catfishing, I'm no expert on catfishing, but you're using either like a piece of chicken breast or you're using some kind of worm or, or something dead and that, but that flathead, man, that's a, that's a predator. And then it kind of reminds me of, of some of those fish that you see like Jeremy Wade catching that when you go um, to, to the weird places and you catch those giant catfish and they are like the ultimate predator in that, in that whatever area Mm -hmm. they're in, that seems I like the sound of those kind of catfish. I had a I had a fun opportunity this past fall where I got to go flathead catfishing at night 
on a pontoon. We yeah. had a we had the Angler Quest pontoon up in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which that's a triple tune. It's got big rack on it with all the rod holders that come out. I mean, that is a fishing machine. Yeah. But we took that out on the Mississippi River in La Crosse, Wisconsin at night with a guide. That's all he does. He goes out every night and he fishes for flathead. So we had all these bluegill that they had caught. I mean, oh. good size bluegill. Yeah, so you were using live bluegill. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So we would, he showed us how to hook them, you know, and we actually did a little video. He was kind enough to do a tutorial video on our whole setup. And uh, we'd just throw them out there and sit and wait. And then, you know, that line starts going and then it's on. How big were they? <laughs> um, we That night we only caught one, I think. I mean, it's not usually like a one after another. Mm-hmm. It can be, but um, it's kind of like you wait for a while, you know. But it was, it was pretty big, good size flathead catfish. Nice. Um, we had another lady that was out with us, so we let her reel it in. It's just an older lady and she just, she had a blast. Right on. But um, it was kind of cool because we were in an urban setting right there on the Mississippi. Downtown La Crosse was kind of right near us, you know, and we were sitting there and it was really entertaining because there was like this high speed police chase going on <laughs> on land. It was like watching live PD while we were fishing. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're only going to catch one fish, a yeah, police chase you helps, have helps out. Yeah, the I the wish, guide's over there going, yes. I wish we'd brought some popcorn sit there and watch the whole thing because it was a foot chase and they had the dogs out and they were yelling Dang. at the guy. And yeah, it was crazy. Front row seat uh, yeah, for cops. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, this is pretty cool. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, as far as as uh, the podcast goes, um, are do you uh, do you like that medium? I love it. Yeah, it's been great. We've got a through that. You know, we've met so many amazing women, and uh, we we have a Facebook group. That's oh, yeah. been really fun, you know, so we kind of built this community around the podcast and uh, a lot of interaction and, you know, everything's still growing. It takes time to build exposure and awareness of the show. So hopefully maybe through being on your show. Oh, it'll you know, definitely, yeah. it'll definitely help. Yeah. Um, I think you Just, should do as many as, as you can yep. because the podcast listeners are podcast listeners. Right. Like it's one thing to try. I mean, that's like the big challenge for me is like, how do you grow the show? Well, it mostly you need to expose it to people that are already listening to podcasts. Right. And and it seems like being on other podcasts seems to be the the best way because those people are already interested in it. It's like a Netflix show, you're advertising to somebody that doesn't have Netflix. Like right. it doesn't seem to make sense, but I, I think that um being on the other podcast will definitely help. Yep. And I found too, and I don't know if you've if you've seen this, but it almost seems like people that are into fishing in the outdoors are kinda just now starting to discover podcasts. Like they're not the core audience that was already listening to podcasts. Yeah. You know? So it's kind of a newer thing. And so like when we had fish camp this past fall, seventy ladies came out to this thing and had them raise your hand. How many of you listen to podcasts? And we had each person come up and showed them how to get it on their phone and subscribe because they don't know, they don't know how, they don't know what it is, you know? And so it was cool to have have that. I have to do it with my dad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was cool to have that one-on-one. I wish I could do that with everybody, but you know, you can't. But uh, one other way that we've tried to grow is by having guests on that have bigger audiences Mm -hmm. like we had terry clark a country music singer um we've got a couple big ones in the works that i hope work out you know i don't want to say anything to jinx it but those types of things help too and absolutely i mean one one big guest can i've seen you know some of the more popular guests that we've had you see the the spike and then it then it kind of tapers off over time but it lasts but, for yeah. weeks and weeks right. and weeks like people will will um find a podcast and then listen to it for a little while and maybe they they stop but i mean even in my own podcast listening behavior i think that um you know i'll i'll listen to one person's podcast and i'll listen to maybe three or four of them and then maybe I move on to somebody else for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I come back and I catch up to those. So I always think, you know, if you have, say you have a thousand people listening to a, to an episode, you have far more than a thousand fans. Right. Right. Because 
not everyone that listens to the podcast, even semi-regularly, is going to listen to every single episode. So I think it's as many as tenfold or or, or more um, to get the same number consistently, whatever that number is. You probably have way more people than, than that listening mm-hmm. to. I mean, I do. I hope. Right. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what I keep telling yeah, myself. It's tricky with uh, podcasts and demographics and figuring out what your actual audience size is. And you don't really have all that information, yeah. you know, which makes it challenging to get support like from sponsors mm-hmm. and things like that because people don't understand how podcasts work. So you have to kind of educate them. And Yeah. But in my experience so far, you know, I mean, we've done... um the television show for, I think this is the 16th season, um, and films and writing, photography, all kinds of different things. And by far, by far, and maybe it just has to do with this all being completely digital media, but by far, I get more uh, interaction from the podcast than I've gotten from anything else. And that's a kind of an interesting thing. I also think it's, it's, you know, someone gets to hear you for an hour and they're, they, they either really don't like you or they really <laughs> like you one or the other. But, um, I think it, it's a little more personal it is. than a 20, 30 minute television show or an article or whatever, but it also lends itself to more of a community, um, atmosphere, like what you've got going on mm-hmm. with that Facebook group. That's, mm-hmm. that's really good. And something that I've considered, um, You've had that going for the whole year? Yeah. Yeah. We started that pretty early on, actually, before we even started a Facebook page. You know, it's hard to keep up with all these different mm-hmm. things. And yeah. now I've got the Angie Scott Adventures thing going on. And um, so I was kind of reluctant to do a page for the longest time. And uh, we finally added that on not too long ago. So that's but, a private group? Uh, yes. We started it out as a public group. And then I, I realized you get a lot more interaction when when it's a closed group yeah. because people aren't as afraid to share certain things or right. ask certain questions. Right. Um, and so, yeah, now it's a. So, a I mean, not to intrude on anyone's privacy, but I'm just kind of interested in what kind of subjects are being discussed in a private group. Like, is it, is it about like the biggest challenges in getting into fishing or like these people are already into it or like what, what's the, what's the kind of culture in that group? We get a variety. Uh, some are just wanting to get into it and they ask questions. Um, you know, we've had people ask about, you know, where, where can I find waiters that fit women or whatever, you know, stuff like that comes up. Uh, a lot of it tends to be women that are really into it and they're sharing their you know, photos from their day or whatever, which is important too, because that's, that's all, you know, she can do it. I can do it. So we encourage people to share that stuff. So people see that and get inspired, or maybe it's a different type of fishing that they hadn't tried yet. So then they ask that person questions. Oh, how, you know, how did you do that? What kind of setup were you using? Stuff like that. People interact and learn from each other. So I'd say the majority I think is people that are already really into it. But then we'll get every now and then people that are just wanting to get into it and ask questions. What about moms that want to take their kids fishing, either their sons or their daughters? That has been a question that that we've gotten a lot over the years on the on the television show and on the podcast. But it's like I've I've thought that that's a huge opportunity both for the sport of fishing. And, you know, I mean, like that's the challenge right now is is getting the kids to not be on the video games, not be inside, but to get outside. And sometimes those kids are watching YouTube videos of people fishing and they want to go fishing Mm -hmm. and I tell their mom, I want to go fishing. And then there's this like, oh, okay, And it's like. Where do I go? What do I do? There's all of these challenges. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have any idea how to take you fishing. Like, what is that a part of, of your message? Yeah, we've done a couple episodes centered around moms taking their kids fishing. Um, we could probably do more stuff like that. I don't think I you think, could do it enough. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's just, it's not just moms. It's anyone that doesn't know about the area that they moved to a new town, their kid says they want to go fishing. 
Like, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Like, what are the resources that are available to you? Are the public ponds, you know, do you, what do you do? How do you take somebody fishing? That seems like an un, untapped resource that needs to be, I mean, for the sake of the, of the sport, you know, like we right. need to get these kids out there fishing and the more information about just like, just the simplest things like, oh, if you want to go, you need a license. You need to go to a public pond. You don't trespass. <laughs> and and this is basically how you're going to catch a whatever, whatever's there. But that seems like a great opportunity for resource. Yeah, we, we work a lot with uh, Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation oh, yeah? and TakeMeFishing.org. Uh -huh. They have a lot of those basic resources on their website, license sales, you know, how to buy a license, where to go, Um Debbie Hansen, who's down in uh, Southwest Florida, uh, she does produces a lot of content for TakeMeFishing.org, and she does you know a lot of basic take you know here's a day taking a kid out fishing, and you know kind of walks you through the day. Um, she does blogs and videos, and so uh, you know we support everybody involved in that, you know, and, and I've actually produced some content for them. So they're a really good resource that we point people to a lot, you know. Um, but like, I think we could definitely focus more on on that. The, the problem is reaching those women, you know, mm -hmm. letting them know we exist <clears throat> as a resource to go to, you know, because if you never fished before, like you say, you just don't yeah. even know where to start. You might not even know that TakeMeFishing.org exists. Uh, right. You know. <laughs> right. I mean, exactly. Yeah. You, you probably wouldn't. So that is the challenge. I mean, that's the challenge for the whole industry is like, how do you reach those people that want to go, that have the desire to go? And how do you reach them in enough time to where they don't get frustrated and just stop? Mm -hmm. Like you right. walk into Bass Pro Shops and you're looking around <laughs> and you're like, Whoa. oh, wow, I thought this was going to be way easier. And there's a zillion choices and, and, uh, and, and maybe somebody just walks out right there. Mm -hmm. And, but how do there is like this, this window of opportunity where the kid's interested in it. They want to go. You got to get to them and get the information to them as quickly as possible. I think to like getting messaging out to the people that listen to our show who are really into fishing you know, reach out to your neighbor. Your neighbor's got kids. Are they interested, you know, in going fishing? Take them out, you know, kind of start in your neighborhood, you know. And we, we did a challenge one month. We were like, just take one kid fishing this month. I love Could it. Could be your, your nephew, your niece, or your neighbor, you know, whatever. And I think that's a, a really good place where it needs to start. Right. Yeah. And, and then it's not just like a kid, but like take another person that doesn't know anything about fishing. Mm -hmm. Like, and then, then that's how it spreads. Like right. then they, then the challenge to them is, okay, you got to pay this forward. Right. You got to do this for somebody else. And it's not for everyone. You know, no, somebody may not. get out there and be like, Ooh, I don't like touching the fish, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and but you know, I mean, like for my kids, when we first started getting my kids in, involved in fishing, I was very careful not to push them. And some of them took to it or one of them took to it pretty much right away. But the others two, my son and my daughter were kind of a little slower to come around. And what they like doing is playing in the live well. Mm -hmm. They loved playing in the live well. Like they were, I'd catch live bait, whether we were going to use live bait or not. And I'd just have that live bait in there and they would just, they would, I mean, literally stick their head in the live well all day long and play. It was like an aquarium. <laughs> and it's like, whatever, man, they're having fun on the boat. Mm -hmm. Like this is a good experience. And you know what? Sooner or later, they start picking up a rod after a while. But uh, yeah, it's like, you don't have to, you don't have to, I think that's a message too that I like to get out there is like, you don't have to just be super hardcore about fishing. Like there's this whole experience mm -hmm. that fishing offers, which is a day outside rather than on the couch playing video games. Right. And I think everybody right now can benefit from that because there's, oh, <laughs> there's a lot of sitting on the couch playing video games. Yep. Yeah. So where do you see, um, where do you see this taking you? Um, well, we would really love to get to the point where, uh, we can actually travel around. Like I, I talked about earlier, it'd be super fun to meet these women in their own environments on location, maybe have an experience with them, you know, do some video, 
do a podcast episode and then maybe in conjunction with that, we could do some kind of community events as we travel around. I think that would be kind of my ultimate dream with it. Yeah. And uh, as long as I can pay the bills <laughs> and make it work that way, that would be awesome. That sounds I, great. I just love spreading my passion for fishing and boating too. I mean, if these charters I'm doing out on the lake, if we're not necessarily fishing, if people want to fish, great. But um, I just love being on the water. And so if I can share my passion for boating with other people, uh, I have an opportunity where I might be able to come some type of instructor, which would be really cool. Good way to put my captain's license to use. You know, I'm all about it. So it's kind of like you have these plans, but you don't really know how they're going to come to fruition, you know? And yeah. so I'm just kind of along for the ride and staying open to opportunities as they come about. And um, it's been pretty exciting so far. So I'm pretty open to anything. I don't want to lock myself into one right. thing because I've found it just always becomes something I couldn't even have imagined. So there's a term for that that uh, that, that I've heard. That, and when you were explaining that, I was thinking of it. And it's, there's, there's ready, aim, fire. But then this other term is ready, fire, aim to where you, you've gotten ready, you fired, you're taken off. And now you kind of adjust your course mm -hmm. as, as you see to, to whatever, uh, either the path of the least resistance or, or the path of the most acceptance or the path of, of the most success or however you choose to decide that destination. I, I think that, that you're on a great path. It seems really cool. And I, don't th I think that, uh, you know, if there's anything that we can do to, to help you, um, because what you're doing, getting new people into the sport of fishing, that's, that's a big part of what we believe in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to keep on keeping on, see where all this leads. Right on. <laughs> all right. Well, let us know if we can help you. Right. How does everyone find all of your resources? Well, the podcast is at thewomanangler.com. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram and uh, we've got the group. So if you want to join the group, by all means, we love growing that community. And then uh, for my charters in Nashville, if you're going to be coming to Nashville, check it out. AngieScottAdventures.com. Right on. Bachelorette parties. <laughs> Here we come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have six boats over there before you know it. All right. Angie, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this show, uh, drop by iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review. That goes a long way. Stop by Angie's uh, social media and her website and check that out. And uh, we'll see you next week. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Ooh, a mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.